We've talked a lot over the past months about just how expensive groceries have gotten. Um, Victoria, where I am, I think has the highest grocery prices in the country. Of course, it's on an island, uh, as you well know. So if you choose to live here, obviously, that's one of the things that you uh, pay more for. But everybody, right across the country, grocery prices are up. There are fewer deals to be had. We've seen that, of course, over the course of the summer. Um, According to the Canada Food Price Report, the average cost to feed a family of four in this country will increase by nearly $1,000 in 2022. And that's along with the price prices of a lot of other things going up, not, you know, gasoline and so on. But an extra $1,000 just on food in 2022. Uh, there are many causes, of course. Uh, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State in the U.S., has referred to it as the three C's, uh, COVID, climate, and conflict. Um, certainly, the hangovers uh, from the supply chain issues that we saw uh, and have seen during the pandemic continue. Uh, the impacts of climate change are obviously having, an, uh, you know, we're seeing more drought or at least more severe weather in many places. And then, of course, the war in Ukraine and conflict uh, has caused uh, food insecurity, not just here uh, for those who uh, can't afford uh, to buy to these increased prices, but also right around the world. There's a real increase in food insecurity these days. But perhaps the, the surge in grocery prices and food prices overall, that overall food insecurity around the world is also an opportunity perhaps to rethink the way we view food. Now, keep in mind, I mean, this is you know, in modern times, this is the way we, we treat it as a commodity, right? It's like going to a clothing store or going to to Best Buy. When you go to the grocery store, you go to buy things. Food is a commodity for us. But what if it was seen as more of a basic right, something more like education and health, uh, that having access to affordable and nutritious food was, in fact, a basic right, uh, that it wasn't commodified to that extent? Now, it seems like a stretch, obviously. Uh, you probably know, because most of us shop in the same grocery stores, that about three major retailers in this in this country take about 60 cents on the dollar of our food spent overall. Um, and that probably won't go away. I mean, there are lots of ways the food system works that are, that are right. But when we hit these high food prices, should it be a time to have a conversation about how we could view food, not just as a commodity, specifically for those who, when food prices spike like this, are the ones left not being able to afford proper nutritious food or having to make really difficult decisions when it comes to feeding their families. It's an argument put forth by Giselle Yasmin in the September edition of McLean's magazine in an article called, Why is Food So Pricey? Yasmin is a senior fellow with the University of British Columbia's School of Public Policy and Global Affairs, and she joins me now. Thank you for your time tonight. Thank you very much for inviting me, Ben. This is really a, a much talked about topic these days. Uh, food prices are on a lot of people's minds with inflation the way it is. Uh, just how much have things gone up? Well, um, you know, meat and fresh fruit are up by 10%. This is in Canada, of course. Rice is up by roughly 7%. Pasta has shot up by almost 20%. So, you know, at least we're not in Sri Lanka where inflation is something like 90%. But right. still, uh, the, this makes a big difference to the family budget and an average or an extra of about $966 to feed the average family of four this year, according to the Canadian Food Price Report. Right. And that's at a time, of course, when everything else is going up in price as well at the same yes. time. The causes I know are myriad, they're plentiful. Uh, but what are some of the main causes that we're seeing in terms of these food price spikes? Well, you know, there have been a number of factors uh, in terms of the inputs, you know, the impact of COVID-19, climate change, conflict, 
you know, there are also, you know, criticisms of the way this entire industry, global industry is structured, speculative activity, all, all sorts of other uh, factors. And I think the fundamental point that I want to make, Ben, is that we shouldn't be treating food just like any other commodity. I mean, these are necessities of life. And so we need to protect uh, our our ability to access food. And it should be, shouldn't be subject to the vagaries of the market the way it is. Yeah, you pointed out these are not flat screen TVs, right? These are not uh, luxury items. These are, as you put it, the necessities of life. Uh, One of the issues that I found interesting that you raised in your article is just how concentrated a lot of the money that we spend as Canadians on groceries, uh, how concentrated the market really is in this country. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, the global food system is really dominated by a handful of big transnational players and and that's from farm to fork. So that's everything from you know production to distribution to retailing, and and so that also has an impact in terms of access. Like how do you actually access the supply chain if you're a small producer, for example? Um, I remember hearing a statistic years ago that thirty percent of small uh, food enterprises in Canada can't access cold chain. So, you know, there are there are issues around that about the distribution of power within within the system. Of course, you know, it's often pointed to that these big conglomerates within the grocery industry are able to keep prices low because A, they're competing against each other. B, they can uh, drive for lower prices when they buy in huge bulk, for instance. Um, I suppose that might be the upside. But what is this latest uh, spike in prices revealed that you think is a bit of a problem with the industry and the way it's concentrated? As you pointed out in your article, 60 cents of every dollar that Canadians spend on groceries goes to some goes to just three big supermarket chains. Yes, and well, not just the supermarket tra- uh, chains, but you know everything from seeds to uh, the distribution networks to raising uh, livestock and uh, the the grain production system is very very concentrated. So small mom and pop operations and and small and medium sized enterprises have difficulty kind of breaking in and getting a fair shake in terms of their own livelihoods and business opportunities. So I'll give you a statistic, Ben. Half of Canada's food businesses are actually micro-enterprises, mom-and-pop operations. So these people need to be able to make a decent living uh, as well. So, you know, again, it's about distribution of power and distribution of wealth. Uh, Again, how would that benefit uh, the consumer, though, do you think? How would that benefit those going to the grocery store to buy food and feeding their families? As you mentioned, the price up on nearly $1,000 to feed a family uh, this year, according to statistics. Well, again, you know, food insecurity is primarily about income, access to income. Uh, You know, it it really, the incomes need to keep up, uh, particularly those who are the most vulnerable within the system, living on minimum wage, working two or three jobs, single mothers, people on benefits, those have not kept up with inflation. So who could, how do we distribute income is a question, and that's the most important question in food insecurity, but also who controls land and other resources that are part of this. So again, there's a whole bi-social movement now that, that, that really uh, focuses on, okay, what, are our, what is the larger impact of our purchasing decisions? You know, who ultimately benefits? Who, you know, what is the what is the value added? So, you know, searching for the absolute, you know, talking only about prices really mm-hmm. hides what the bigger picture is. 
Yeah, I, I guess just going back to what you had written, I mean, I, I understood where you're going with it, but I was just trying to figure out from from the way the system works now, uh, when it comes to purchasing groceries, just where do you see the vulnerabilities in it? I mean, clearly the system as it is, we've seen these prices go up, uh, but how do you think reforming it would, uh, would would improve everyday shopping for the average family? Well, you know, Ben, we need to create a strong, resilient, more equitable uh, food system generally but also domestically. We need to be able to weather these shocks. We need to be able to feed ourselves whether or not borders thicken and we're able to trade. You know, what we can't do is go in the direction of being so dependent economically on exports of various commodities that we can't even feed ourselves in a time of crisis. So we need to build up our local food systems, both BC and Quebec, have gone in some very interesting directions in terms of uh, bolstering their own uh, their own food systems and their own you know food security strategies. So that really is the direction that we need to go into. Giselle Yasmin is with us this half hour. She is a senior fellow with the University of British Columbia School of Public Policy and Global Affairs. We're talking about an article she's written for Maclean's called Why is Food So Pricey? We've been talking about some of the reasons why, but also uh, just how the food system works, so that food is still treated as a commodity like so many other things uh, in society. But in fact, in many ways, it's, I mean, it is a necessity. And perhaps we should think about it more like the way we treat something like healthcare, for instance. Uh, you pointed out something really interesting in the article that for a long time, uh, you know, some of these things we now consider to be public goods. We know about the crisis in the healthcare system, but uh, we're not public goods. And that maybe we should think about food in a different way than we than we have in the past uh, as a commodity. And you also pointed to some, to some interesting provincial initiatives to move in that direction. Yes. I mean, health and education are very good examples. There was a time in this country where, you know, it was very commodified. And there are other countries where health and education are highly commodified. Um, so, yes, our system is not perfect, but in that regard, we have had steps forward and we need to do the same with food and, you know, not just provincially, but all jurisdictions, uh, you know, have some interesting initiatives in terms of public sector procurement, whether it's for schools or hospitals or office canteens. But we need an overall strategy because there's a way to rebuild our economy Ben, in a way that benefits uh, small scale local producers, distributors, uh, you know, processors, manufacturers, and also helps contribute to a healthy, environmentally friendly uh, diet. So, you know, there are examples where, where this is happening. Uh, if you look at, at um, you know, Europe, for example, uh, there, there are several initiatives where the, the food that's served in canteens or in schools has to come from organic, uh, local, small-scale producers. This is very common in Asia as well. And so there is a commitment on the table for the government of Canada to work with the provinces and other jurisdictions to create kind of standards around this so that all children have access to a healthy meal or snack in school. School feeding programs are a very well-known form of social protection. But if you think of hospitals, there's a movement around that too. And, you know, there's power in public sector procurement to move the economy in a more green and inclusive direction. And you pointed out that we are the only G7 country without a national school food program. Yes, that's right. That's right. And, you know, thanks to the, you know, activism of 
several organizations, for example, the Coalition for Healthy School Food, Farm to Cafeteria, and others. This is now a commitment to to move forward on this. So there has been some traction, and you know, hopefully, this will will come to be in the next uh, few years. And, you know, we have to think about the multiple benefits that are associated with this kind of programming, economic benefits, health benefits, environmental benefits. I mean, we do have a health crisis right now, and a lot of it is related to diet-related uh, diet related disease. You pointed out that uh, there are some initiatives already in place uh, provincially. Uh, PEI is one of them that you pointed out, Quebec as well. Um, what do some of those ideas look like and can they be expanded? Yeah, no, absolutely. There are also Indigenous-led uh, programs, you know, First Nations, uh, self-governing First Nations in the Yukon, for example, and many others where there's a cultural revival side to this, as well as economic health and, and other benefits. So again, there isn't a one size fits all, but a lot of what the activists uh, have been arguing for is standards to have actual national standards, not take away the responsibility of the provinces in this regard, but to really have it woven together in a more uh, comprehensive strategy or policy. I mean, it's probably unlikely that the big grocery chains in this country will lose much market share over time. And this, these, this, you know, these high prices shall pass to some extent. I imagine they'll stay high uh, longer than we would anticipate. But um, what would a nicely balanced food distribution system in the future uh, look like to you? Because you do point out in your article that eventually what happens is that food prices sort of stabilize, people stop talking about it as much, and then we move on and wait for the next time, right? Yes, and there's always a next time. I mean, uh, we had the 2008 crisis. I mean, it just, it's cyclical. It just keeps happening. So, you know, we need, first of all, we need sustainable livelihoods. We need sustainable livelihoods and inclusive economies. So, you know, people need, you know, solid jobs or they need, we'd have to have a minimum income floor or social protection floors. So Canada's a wealthy country. Come on, there should be a floor that nobody can, go below. Right. You know, we should not have hungry people uh, in Canada or malnourished people. But unfortunately, we do. A study just came out from the University of Toronto's Proof Centre, which is the top place for statistics. And it's really, it's really quite appalling um, what the, the figures are. So that's one question in terms of social policy, a minimum, you know, social protection floor, income floors, sustainable livelihoods, you know, good, good jobs, um, and supporting small businesses and entrepreneurship, but also, you know, having some, some you know, boundaries around uh, to what extent, you know, we should be able to access a healthy diet regardless of our income. You know, that should not be the purview only of the wealthy. So, you know, the Canada Food Guide is a, is a good way of, of looking at how our plates should be um arranged and we should be able to access fresh fruits and vegetables uh half our plate should be fresh fruits and vegetables and unfortunately that's not what's happening right now and our health costs are going up as a result so there's more and more work that's being done around you know fresh fruit and vegetable prescriptions other things like that but then people need to have the ability to access uh that food economically right uh, so, you know, there has to be, we cannot go in the direction of the basic necessities of life becoming beyond the reach of a good chunk of our population. It's a bit like housing, 
We have social housing. We need more social housing. We need affordable housing, affordable rental housing, housing cooperatives. The same applies to uh, the, the whole food question. You know, there are now food co-ops and food hubs, and these kinds of things need to be encouraged. So those are the kinds of policies that we need. Basic needs need to be treated differently than luxury items. And we need to have social and economic policies that empower communities to be able to feed themselves. Giselle Yasmin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ben. You can read Giselle Yasmin's piece in the September edition of McLean's on Newsstands Now. Look for the roller coaster on the cover and a series of stories called A Guide to the Topsy-Turvy, Unpredictable, Mind-Bending, Illogical Canadian Economy. And you can always visit mclean's.ca for daily updates.